0: and you are thankful he's a good good father. The Bible says that every good gift comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variableness, there's no turning like shifting sand. He is constant. His love is forever. It is everlasting. It is unconditional. There's nothing you can do this morning to make him love you more than he loves you right now. There's nothing you did yesterday that could make him love you any less than he loves you right now. Come on, put your hands together and give him praise. Hallelujah. Our God is a good God all the time. You may be seated this morning. As you are, give our praise team another hand if you would please. Great job guys. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. Thank you so much for being with us this morning. If you're A first-time guest, we welcome you to Victory. My name is Michael. I'm the lead pastor here at Victory Church, and we hope that you enjoyed our worship, received the Lord's table together with us today. We are excited to have you with us. There are a lot of wonderful expressions of God's church in this community in Marion, West Memphis, and uh, we are just honored today that you would come and be a part of this worship service with us this morning. Hope that you'll come back and be with us again. We want to make one quick announcement before we get into the Word today. This one is not in our announcement series because it's been depending on weather-related issues. Right now, as of today, Friday looks good, so there will be a Fire Pit Friday Fellowship for all the men in our church at my house this Friday night from 6.30 until whenever. We'll go to 10 or so. It's looking like it'll be a little warm, so we might not get the fire lit till about 8.30, but we'll have some great fellowship. We're going to uh, put crank up the the grill, and we're going to grill brats this time, some bratwurst, and just have a great time for the brothers together, a little bit of um, cornhole and probably something else, I don't know, but we'll just hang out and fellowship and have a great time at my house, 316 Galen, 630 until about 10 or so, and so all the brothers invited, hope you'll come and join us, we're going to have a great time together, all the men said amen, all right, Um, if you would... If you have a Bible this morning, or if you don't, we have it on the screen. We are in the fourth message in our series called Higher Power. We preached the fruit of the Holy Spirit, called it Higher Love, for about seven or eight weeks, I think. Then came to Easter and I preached a message called The Day the Revolution Began. And then we started this series after that called Higher Power on the Gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are nine fruit. And there are nine gifts. The fruit is the character of God. The gifts are the charisma, the the ability of God's power. The fruit are His nature. The, The gifts are pieces of His ability that He's put into each of your lives. Now, the motivation always has to be the fruit, the love. Jesus in no place said that all men will know you by your power demonstrations. He never said that. He said, by this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have what? Love, love. one to another. So our motivation is love. But Acts 1.8, before Jesus ascended into heaven, he said to the disciples, "Tarry here in Jerusalem, till you're endued with power from on high, closing part of Luke chapter 24, and then Acts 1, he says, after this promise of the Father comes, the Holy Spirit... He says, you will be endued, you'll be clothed upon, you'll be covered over with power from on high. And the scripture says that so that you can be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. To be a witness means that we are testifying. Witness as in the sense of getting on a witness stand and giving a testimony, a verification of the resurrected Christ. Our lives demonstrate that Jesus is alive because he's alive in us and we have experienced the transformation that comes from having Him working and being alive in our hearts. And so that's the motivation. The motivation for the the gifts of the Holy Spirit is not to draw attention to ourselves or to to have sensational things take place, Uh, although sometimes sensational things do happen, that is if we'll put our trust in the Lord. But we're not seeking sensation. We're seeking God's will. We're seeking Jesus as the person who He is, and His comforter that He's given to us, another comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, who will lead us into all truth. So this morning, these three speaking gifts that we're looking at, there are nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. We've divided them into three categories. Three, knowing, we did last week, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, and discerning of spirits. I'm going to go back and review that. Today, we have the three speaking gifts. You have a very, very simple outline in front of you in your notes that says unknown languages, interpretation, interpretation of languages or tongues, and it says prophecy, okay? Now, these three speaking gifts are probably uh, the most controversial of the nine because usually there has been more confusion around them. And because of that, the Apostle Paul devotes a whole chapter just to these three speaking gifts. He introduces the nine in chapter 12. In chapter 13, we have what's called the love chapter that gets read at every wedding, Love is patient, love is kind, and he goes on to say all of these things that love is and what love does and what love does not do, does not hold a record of wrongs, rejoices in the truth, all of these things that love does because love is the greater way that the Apostle Paul says in the, in the closing of chapter 12. He said, let me show you a more excellent way. That's the way of love. And so that's the fruit of the Spirit that we want to have working in our hearts. But chapter 14, he devotes a whole chapter to these three speaking gifts because this is where a lot of confusion was taking place in the early New Testament church in the city of Corinth. Corinth was a very worldly city, extremely prosperous, along the trade routes there in the Mediterranean, and they've, they've seen an explosion of growth. Every vile, sinful practice is available. Every temptation can be uh, satisfied in Corinth. There is a host of transformations that have taken place because people have literally come to Christ, been born again, been filled with the Holy Spirit, and they have have an extremely fast-growing megachurch in Corinth. And so the Apostle Paul writes two letters to the Corinthian church. This first one is to deal with some issues in the local church because everybody um, is coming out of some kind of life that they have to learn to put in proper perspective. That is B.C. before Christ. Now I'm walking in a new life because Christ is now on the inside of me and I am in Christ, in the covenantal family of God. And so Paul is writing because there are some uh, extremes that are happening in this charismatic church, in this Pentecostal church in Corinth, if you will. And he is devoting these three chapters to the understanding of gifts and the motivation behind them. And he gives us the power chapter in 12, the love chapter in 13, and then some practical principles in 14. I don't think that is a coincidence that when he tells Timothy that you've not been given a spirit of fear, can you finish it? For you've not been given a spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. That's, Power is chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Love is the love chapter of chapter 13. And 14 is the practical, common sense, sound mind, do everything decently and in order is what he's bringing. This is not just charismania. This is not just crazy, extreme stuff. Like sometimes you can turn on TV and you sit there and you know you've done it. You've said, those people are crazy. And you know, I want to just say, I want to say to you respectfully to them, I don't think they're crazy. I think they just need a little bit of teaching and need to be a trained a little bit sometimes in the things that we see. Uh, it's unfortunate because it's, it tends to sensationalize and kind of make some of the things that we know to be a reality in the New Testament church that is on fire with the Holy Spirit, it kind of makes it like a circus a little bit. And I don't really, I don't, I don't appreciate, I don't recognize the value of that. And I I don't want the body of Christ to be ill-spoken of. Uh, There are a number of things that we definitely need to deal with that that already have us ill-spoken of. And I want us to grow up. Remember the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 as he opened, Now, brothers, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. And, And the word ignorant comes from the Greek word agnoeo. We get our English word agnostic, which means somebody who just doesn't know. And how many of you know God loves people who don't know? Jesus hung on the cross and He said, Father, forgive them for they don't, they don't know. And so he, God loves people who don't know. And the purpose of His coming was to reveal the one true God, that we might know Him, Jesus Christ, His Son. And so God has come that we might know Him. He's come to demonstrate and give to us a teacher who will walk with us. And that's the Holy Spirit. Somebody say amen. amen. Let me jump in. Isaiah 50, verses 4 and 5. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should, everybody say it, know how to speak a word in season. Do we have the scripture up there? I want everybody to read it with me. Are we having some trouble in the booth? All right. Bear with them. Sometimes that thing freezes up on them and they can't help what's going on up there. The Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I should know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God has opened my ear and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. The one thing that I want to bring to you this morning is, do we have it yet? Thank you. Very, very good. Everybody say, thank you, Sarah. Sarah. Let me tell you, she's doing her best back there. Sometimes it's just kind of crazy how a little glitch or a little brownout or something happens and then it all freezes up. We've got to kind of start from zero. Read it with me, the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth knows the why, the what, the how, the when, and who of our lives, callings, dreams, and destinies. He will lead us into all truth. The question is whether or not we'll be led. Go ahead and put the verse back up one more time. I want them to see that because the the one thing goes with the verse. The verse from Isaiah. Here we go. Everybody say, Know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. So that the word is what? In season is when? Know how. That's how you do it. Sometimes how you say things are more critical than actually what you say. And you want to pay attention to be able to say it to the person who is in need, to someone who is weary and needs to receive a blessed word from the Lord. There are nine power gifts of the Holy Spirit listed 1 Corinthians 12, three knowing, three speaking, three doing. Isn't that interesting? Because it's in the areas of thought and word and deed that we wrestle sin. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts, but now God has given me a picture, a partial, a glimpse into the thoughts of God when He gives me wisdom or knowledge or the discernment of a spirit that may be involved in something. He gives me the ability now to speak His words, not just to read out loud the written word of the Holy Bible, but a word that can bring encouragement to someone else through an unknown language, through interpretation of that language, or through prophecy. And then he also gives me the ability not only in thought and word, but also in deed. Faith that moves mountains, working miracles, gifts, plural, of healings, plural. I believe every bit of that, all nine of those are available to the church today. I don't believe throughout history that they have ever at any point ceased the way some folk tend to teach. Many times I think their reasoning for that is based on their lack of experience more than anything because there are definitely churches that used to be alive that are now dead. Come on somebody say amen. And so this morning you have a very simple, extremely simple outline in front of you and I want to cover a whole chapter. I want to cover chapter 14. I just say, I know it's a big bite to chew. We're going to bite it off a little at a time. There are 40, four zero, 40 verses in this. We're not going to stop and preach points, but we're just going to comment as we go through because I think the word is so clear in this. And the Apostle Paul has devoted one whole chapter just to these three speaking gifts in order to bring clarity. I mean, clarity. I said clarity. We want to be clear. But we want to clarify and have clarity concerning what these gifts are for and how we're to properly use them, okay? So let's begin this morning, verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the spiritual abilities that the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy, okay? And so he's saying, connecting 14 back to 13 now. 13 is the love chapter. He ended 12 by saying let me show you a more excellent way the way of love then he he develops that in 13 as the kind of love that we're to walk with if I have faith that moves mountains but don't have love that I'm nothing. If I have If I give my body to be burned but I don't have love, then all of this that I do is nothing but tinkling brass and clanging cymbals. Love is the motivation behind everything that we do as believers. Somebody say amen. So he opens 14 by continuing that same flow and he says, Let love be your highest goal, but you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives, especially the ability to prophesy. Now, we've been in churches... I've been in both. I've been in those that emphasize 12 and said a little bit about 13 and never touched 14. And those were uh, the churches of my personal heritage, uh, of a Pentecostal, classical, old-school Pentecostal background. I've been in churches that ignored 12 and emphasized 13 and never even really said anything about 14 either. It was all about love. And those were the churches that I'm thankful that helped me to get grounded in the Word that were from an evangelical perspective, Baptist and Presbyterian. And, and uh, those places that I have been throughout my journey to help me really get grounded in the Word of God, the objective truth of God's Word in this experience. But I want to tell you that that that's not all there is. There is an objective truth of the Word, but there's also a subjective experience of the Spirit of God working in my life and speaking to me personally. As we've said, there's not a place in the Bible that you can open to chapter and verse that will tell you, don't take that job. Another one is coming behind it that will be better if you'll just wait. Wouldn't it be great if you can open up to chapter and verse and you could read that, David? Wouldn't it be wonderful, Brenna? Wouldn't that be amazing if you could see that, Jeremy, in the next step in your career? But it's not there. There is wisdom, there are principles, there are examples, there are commandments, there there are ethical issues that that are spoken to there that I must govern my life by. But when it comes to making those extremely specific decisions, I have to use these as a guide... The, the written word of the Lord, but then lean into the Holy Spirit who is speaking in a still small voice down on the inside of me to guide me in the best way that it will go, that, that I should go, rather than just so many times we lumber off into it and we take the one that looks like the most attractive, and that may not be the best one. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Because sometimes the best one shows up after you've, actually jumped into it. And all the circumstances didn't look good, but God has a way of kind of turning things around and doubly blessing you when you stay in His will. Yeah. And so, uh, because I can't turn to chapter and verse and discern that. Father, I'm, I, I, I'm a single young man. I'm, I'm 23. I've graduated, got my degree, and I'm, I've got a job, and now I'm, I'm looking for a mate, okay? Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. No, there's not. Chapter and verse, you know, is its it... Is it is it Monique? Is it Sally? Is it, is it uh, who, whoever it is? You know, no, there's not, a, there's not a chapter and verse. So you're looking for the Spirit of God to lead you and where your heart has been joined. Can I have an amen? So there is an objective truth upon which we rely. It is first place and it has final authority. But there's also a subjective experience. If we will just admit that and tell the truth, this is where we can miss it. This is where we have to learn to test the spirits and see if they be of God. Because sometimes I can want something so bad, I can start thinking I've got a word of knowledge that that's going to be the job. Oh, Lord, you know I want this job. God, give me this job. In the name of Jesus, give me this job. Hallelujah, Joe. I just thank you, Father, for this job. And, man, we're confessing Scripture and we're speaking faith. And all along there's this little gnawing feeling down in our gut that says, that's not your... No, no, I'm not going to hear that. That's... Thank you, Lord, for this. This is my job. Hallelujah. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And you just kind of can know down in your knower that you just got this uneasy, unrested feeling. There's no peace there. And, and, and you're, you, man, it sure looks good. The money's right. It's a great opportunity for growth and career advancement. And, and yet there's just something down inside your knower. And, and too many times we just jump off into it anyway. And then we spend so much of our prayer time begging God to bless our bad choice. When if we would just wait and let Him lead us and then follow when we sense the peace of God in our hearts, let it rule our hearts, then guess what? When you do God's will, you don't have to pray for blessing. Blessing is automatically going to be there. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching so good. How many of you know I'm telling you the truth? All right. So I need both love, and I need the gifts of the Holy Spirit, but he says especially, notice he, he, he points out one, especially the ability to prophesy. So let's jump in. Here we go. Verse 2. For if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You'll be speaking by the power of the Spirit. That's what speaking in tongues is. You're you're driven by the Holy Spirit, motivated speaking a language. Maybe it's a prayer language, a devotional language, and that's not the same thing as giving a message out to a congregation. Okay? Okay which my personal conviction, and let me just say this, this is my personal conviction, so I'm stepping back and saying this is not, quote, chapter and verse, this is the word of the Lord. This is my personal conviction. I believe that there's been confusion over the years, especially in my heritage among charismatic Pentecostals, where this gift is primarily utilized is on the mission field where there are multiple foreign languages. I've had friends that I know personally who God has led them into a situation and didn't have the, the, an interpreter and literally just began to speak and trusted God and the Spirit of God moved and, and, and touched hearts in, a, in an unreached village. That, I believe, is the miracle that takes place when we start to talk about the gift of speaking in tongues and unknown languages. I think a lot of what goes on in, sometimes in Pentecostal churches is when folks have really kind of emphasized this experience over everything else. And everybody's doing it, and if I'm really going to be part of this group, then they start seeking an experience more than they are just seeking the Holy Spirit Himself. And I want to encourage you. You need healing? Don't seek healing. Seek the healer. His name is Jesus, and He will be there with you in any number of ways that healing can come, okay? Sometimes it comes when we go to heaven. Sometimes it comes instantly, sometimes it comes progressively over a period of time. The scripture says they shall lay hands upon them and they shall recover. Sometimes there's a recovery healing period. Sometimes it's a dramatic instant moment. Sometimes healing comes when a person passes from this life and they open their eyes and see Jesus and they're healed and whole. I don't have control or power, neither do you. It's it's in God's sovereign hand and will that those choices are made and we must remember that He is God and that we are not. Thank you for hearing that and somebody say amen if you would please. All right, I think and it's my opinion that a lot of times in our churches and this certainly in my personal upbringing I never heard them open chapter 14 and teach it. Because what we're about to read here is standing in contradiction to the way we were doing a lot of practice in the old school Pentecostal church because it was just really kind of about a whole lot of an ecstatic kind of ecstasy experience of sort of almost being otherworldly and kind of in a trance and out of your mind and and talking certainly out of your natural understanding, out of your reasoning, but in the spirit. And I just want to say that what I do at home, I may get on the floor and I may weep and cry and I may pound the floor and I may cry out in intercession for where I am personally in my life and processing the grief of the last 18, 19 months, I may be standing in a place of intercession, holding and, and making up the gap between somebody in this church and a struggle and a, and a temptation or an area that you're facing or trusting God for a broken marriage to be reconciled. And I may weep and I may cry and I may, I, I may groan and I may moan and I may roll around there at my house, but I'm not going to get up here on this platform and do it in front of everybody because... Too many people wouldn't understand what's going on, okay? Now, already I might have the potential to have offended some of my sweet Pentecostal folks, but just stay with me because this is part of what we didn't get taught, at least in my experience. They never opened 14 because if they'd have opened 14, we would have backed up on a lot of stuff that we were doing in our service. All right, look with me. If you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people won't be able to understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. That's okay. God works in mysterious ways, but let's keep going. Verse 3, but one who prophesies, strengthens others, encourages them, and comforts them. Say those three words with me. Strengthens, encourages, comforts. King James says it this way, edifies, exhorts, and comforts. To edify in the Greek means to build up. To exhort means to stir up. To comfort means to cheer up. Now, there's one word that all three of those definitions has in common. What is it? Up. So when somebody gives you a prophetic word, you better leave there. What? Up even if it's a word that is encouraging you to leave the past and repent and turn from something, even the result of repentance, which might be painful, is going to be the release of, of, of guilt and shame and you will be up. Come on somebody. So everybody, everyone, you don't have to be an apostle or a prophet, everyone in this, in this place that has Jesus living in your heart, the Holy Spirit is the resident Let him be the president. Let the residing one become the presiding one. You are authorized, you are deputized to encourage, to strengthen, and to comfort. Everybody in here, you're encouraged to build up, to edify, build a building. An edifice is a structure a building. We think of it the strengthened side. This is how kind of the bodybuilder metaphor or analogy is that when you, 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 you're in the gym and you're applying resistance and weights that are heavier than you normally can do or you're doing them for an extended period of time, you're actually strengthening by building up your muscles. And so when you build somebody up, when you edify them, when you exhort them, you stir them up, when you comfort them, you cheer them up, they all should leave up when they've met us in the community. This is not just a Sunday morning expression of charismatic practices. This is when I'm in Kroger and I run across somebody and I can tell that their countenance is down and their brow is knit with worry and I have three minutes with them and I leave them. I don't have to quote scripture. I don't have to say thus saith the Lord but I can look them in an eye and I can speak a word that will strengthen and will encourage and will comfort them in the name of the Lord and it doesn't even have to be churchy. It doesn't have to be overly religious. It can just be being a real person but coming along by the power of the Holy Spirit and, and strengthening somebody, encouraging them, comforting them, lifting them up. And then when they leave my presence, they're up because they've been in the presence of Jesus. One who prophesies. I'm prophesying right now, but I hadn't yet said, saith the Lord to thee. Okay? Word prophecy is the word prophetuo, which means to proclaim the word of the Lord. Much preaching is prophesying. That is a correct understanding. But a prophecy is not always about the prediction of the future. Old Testament prophets foretold things to come but there was also forth telling they were proclaiming the the word of the Lord and the understanding of the people to encourage themselves to encourage the people that God was a good God a God of covenant a God who would keep His promises a God who wouldn't fail them a God who would not uh, leave them behind a God who would not, not let them out there to dry a God who wouldn't let them drown in the water who wouldn't let them burn in the fire a God that would get into the fire with them hallelujah so they were foretelling. It's not all about foretelling the future, but prophet Chuo is about encouraging and about strengthening. I got some preach on me I didn't have in the first service. Some strengthening and some encouraging and some comforting people. I don't know if you know this this morning, but there's something flowing today, and if you'll get a hold of this current, you'll be strengthened and encouraged and comforted. You'll be up when you leave this service. Hallelujah. A person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally. I'm thankful for that. I, pr- I pray in the spirit. I speak in tongues. But you won't see me grab a microphone around here and scream, Who stole my Honda? <laughs> oh, let me see you. Hallelujah. I'm not making fun. I'm just trying to, you know, sometimes that's what tongues sound like. I remember a service that I was leading worship in. My Lord, Holy Spirit, should I tell this? I don't know. Uh, man, I was leading worship. And this is a sweet lady. It's Jonesboro, Arkansas. We've got a growing church. It's thriving. People are getting saved, filled with the Holy Spirit. We've got guys on the football team, athletes. We've got young college kids that are giving their lives to Jesus. We had revival. Man, it's powerful. And sweet little lady, she's driving up from Truman, Arkansas, and being in our services, and she wanted to exercise the gift of tongues, and she stood one day and just over and over and over and over, hey, not a C, 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 not a C. and I'm sitting there going, okay, it's not a C, okay, fine. <laughs> is it an A, is it a B, it's not a C. <laughs> now, now don't, don't get offended at me, I, I love, her heart was right, her spirit was right, but the pastor had to kind of take her aside and say, "Sister, that was just your exuberant praise unto God," and we held the service for five minutes for something that just kind of drew attention to you and not to Jesus, while you went, "Hey, not a see, 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 not a C, hey, not a see, not a see, not a and I'm 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 up there on the B3, I had it in the church there with me, and I'm leading worship, and the pastor looks at me, and so I go, "Okay," and so we just start to sing, and I said, "Let's just worship God with our sister." Because sometimes stuff happens, guys, but just, folk are just get exuberant, and they just they just want to worship the Lord and let it out, and, and instead of getting scared, remember God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of what? Power and love, and guess what? A sound mind. And so guess what? We want to teach a little bit, and this morning, this is not a preaching message, although I got a little preach on me a minute ago, but I want you to understand what he writes the whole chapter to. Are you getting anything out of this so far? Look at this, a person who speaks in tongues is strengthened personally, but one who speaks a word of prophecy strengthens the entire church. And You're going to see that idea through the rest of this chapter over and over again. Everybody say, strengthen the whole church. A person who speaks in tongues, I'll get to verse 5. He says, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy. For prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. Now this is in your Bible Get one off your shelf when you go home and read it and check me out. Prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues unless someone interprets what you're saying. So Everybody say, so that. So that the whole church will be strengthened. Okay, so this is why I'm on the organ over here and I'm worshiping God and I may just be right up and, and bless God, little Sydney's ear. Hallelujah. But I'm not on a microphone shouting that because people want to go, okay, what's he saying? So I may, in my exuberant praise and worship, do something in my own house by myself. We may have a prayer meeting with a few folks, a handful of six or eight people, and everybody's filled with the Holy Spirit. We understand what's going on. We may do something in a smaller group like that. But on a Sunday morning when we have guests here, there's a reason why we, we, we keep this stuff. We steward this service properly. We want to maintain an atmosphere of order so that the gospel can be central We're not ever trying to create an experience because everybody doesn't do this. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul asks the question at the close of 1 Corinthians 12, are all apostles, are all prophets, do all speak in tongues? The answer to every one of those rhetorical questions is no. We all have different gifts. We want to utilize gifts that strengthen the whole church. So next time if you're here and you hear somebody in their worship and they're They're praying in tongues or they're singing in the Spirit, and those are phrases you're going to see in this very chapter right here. Understand they're just worshiping God, okay? Now, when somebody grabs a microphone and it stops the whole service, that's a whole different thing. That is a message that we're really waiting clearly to see. What's the understanding? And then we want discerning of spirits. Is that thing motivated by the capital S, Holy Spirit, or is that a little S, Somebody's spirit who's just seeking some fleshly attention. Are you following me? So we want to keep Jesus the center of this thing. We want to keep the gospel, the whole focus of why we're here. But the gifts of the spirit are to empower that. Motivated by love. Somebody say amen. All right, let me move quickly. He says, dear brothers and sisters, verse 6, if I should come to you speaking in an unknown language, how should that help you? But... He says, if I bring you a revelation or some special knowledge or prophecy or teaching, that will be helpful. Verse 7, And even lifeless instruments like the flute or the harp must play the notes, everybody say it, clearly or no one will recognize the melody. Okay. So there's a right way to play Amazing Grace. da now you can just say, well, I'm just doing my version. Well, you can give your version, but it doesn't mean it's Amazing Grace. You've got to play the notes correctly and clearly. And there's a right way. And so the Apostle Paul is giving us an analogy here. If folks are going to discern the melody, you need to play the notes clearly. So when you're speaking, speak in a language that will strengthen the whole church. Are you following me? All right, verse 8. And if the bugler doesn't sound a clear call, how will the soldiers know they're being called to battle? It's the same for you. He's going to say that about three more times. It's the same for you. If you speak to people in words they don't understand, how will they know what you're saying? You might as well be talking into empty space. Verse 10, there are many different languages in the world and every language has meaning, but if I don't understand a language, I will be a foreigner to someone who speaks it and the one who speaks it will be a foreigner to me. If there's no communication, if we don't understand the words we're speaking, there's isolation, there's alienation, there's no understanding, there's no clarity. But when we can get on the same page and I can speak words that you understand, then we can take up our mission and we can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. Somebody say amen. He says in verse 12, and, and the same is true for you. There it is again. The same is true for you since you were so, say it, Eager to have the special abilities the Spirit gives. Look at this. Seek those that will, there it is again, strengthen the whole church. Before he said the entire church. Okay. So we want to operate in gifts that are going to strengthen, encourage, and comfort. And we want to strengthen the whole church when we do it. All right. So anyone who speaks in tongues should pray also for the ability to interpret what has been said. Verse 14, Paul says, For if I pray in tongues... My spirit is praying, but I don't understand what I am saying. Well, then what shall I do? I will pray in the spirit, and I will also pray in words that I understand. So when I'm praying in the spirit in tongues, it's outside of my reasoning. My spirit is praying, is what it says in the opening of this chapter. And I'm speaking to God only, and nobody else can understand me, okay? He says, so I will pray in the spirit, and I will pray in words I understand. I will sing in the spirit, and I will also sing in words I understand, okay? Verse 16, for if you praise God only in the spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? So what I'm saying is, let me just say this. When I'm down here and somebody else is leading worship, what I do on this front row without a microphone, Donnie over there or Pastor Jeremy might hear me sing in tongues or in the spirit here. But when I get a microphone on and I'm talking to the whole congregation, I'm going to speak in a language that will edify and strengthen the whole church. I'm edifying myself. I'm building myself up. As a matter of fact, Jude verse 20 says this building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Okay? So when I'm praying in the Spirit, it's a dynamo that is building strength and building faith in God's ability. But if I'm just doing that and you don't understand what I'm saying, then it's a mystery to everybody else. And I'm just dominating time and drawing attention to myself and not to Jesus. Can I have an amen? So that's why some of you go, well, you know, you, you, you say you speak in tongues, but I'll never hear you. Well, that's, that's why, because I, I don't operate in a message in, in tongues. When I speak, I, sp- I prophesy. I, I declare the word of the Lord to the people. I'm prophesying from God's word right now. I have given specific words. There was a Sunday the Holy Spirit just reminded me of any of you know the other Mike Smith in this church? White beard, long white hair, drives a truck, truck driver. Mike grew up in this, not grew up, but was, has was been a part of this church literally for 25 plus years. His mom and dad were part of the church way, way, way years ago before they moved to Oklahoma. And Mike was really discouraged one Sunday, and I didn't know it. And he had prayed before he left the house. He said, Father, if I don't hear a word from you today, I, I, I'm just I'm ready to give up. And do you know before this, that service was over, he was sitting right over here on the second row of this section. I came down off the platform and I looked right at him and I said, Mike Smith, I don't know what this is about, but the word of the Lord to you today is that he's got his hand on your life. And he started weeping. He started weeping. And next time he's here, ask him. He'll tell you, yeah, that happened. Pastor Michael just was obeying the spirit of the Lord. I was prophesying an individual word to a person in this church Who'd basically just said to God, "I got to have, I got to know, I got to know. I don't just want the general sense of your love for me and that you've got my life, but I want to know that I'm hearing from you." And I left this platform and said, and I looked at him and I called his name, and he just hung his head and started weeping. He said, "Okay, God, I got this. I hear you." I got another story I can tell you. This would just happen recently. As a matter of fact, I'll let him tell you the real testimony of this thing when we dedicate their new baby. Pastor Johnny, one of our youth pastors, his sweet little wife Megan, miscarried before they had Ezra. I'm in the middle of the Nehemiah series, and I'm preaching one day how God brings Nehemiah along with an Ezra. And they had had the name Ezra picked out. I didn't know this. This was a secret in their heart, just like God had given my dawn Abigail for us when a prophet told me you're going to have a little girl bounce on your knee and she's going to be a great source of joy and Abigail is what means source of joy I'm preaching here last year just fire comes on me all of a sudden and I felt something and I said I don't know who this is for but your Ezra is on the way and Johnny perked up and it sat there in tears and he said faith came over him and in just, just a matter of a few weeks Megan was pregnant and they just gave birth to a brand new baby Ezra in that house And Johnny will tell you that there was a word of the Lord. There was fire on that. And there are miracles that are sitting here in this room right now that the testimony hasn't yet been given because they're just waiting to see it come to pass. But I'm going to tell you, God is moving and actively working in your lives and in this church if you will just lean into Him. And draw from him and, and don't live like a practical atheist all week long where you do everything in your own strength and you go on Sunday morning, okay, yeah, I gotta go get up and go worship the Lord now. No, get up Monday and go, Father, move, do it, move in my life, do something powerful and strengthen me today to hear your voice, to, 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 to speak to this problem at my job, in my business, with my spouse. Lord, thank you for healing in Jesus' name. Give me wisdom, give me guidance. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying today? Hallelujah. Many different languages in the world, and every language has meaning. He says, let's see, let me jump 16. For if I praise God only in the Spirit, how can those who don't understand you praise God along with you? How can they join you in giving thanks when they don't understand what you're saying? You will be giving thanks very well, but it won't strengthen the people who hear you. There it is again, strengthen the whole church. Strengthen the people who are hearing you. Verse 18, look at this. Read it out loud with me, this one verse. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than any of you. Keep going, here we go. But in a church meeting, now this is the Apostle Paul. What did you say? I speak in tongues more than all of you. but in a church meeting, that never got opened in my Pentecostal experience. They never opened this and taught this in our church. But in a church meeting, I would rather speak five, say it out loud, come on, five understandable words to help others than 10,000 words in an unknown language. Why? Because it was our experience that we had the 10,000 words all the time going on. And folk thought we were crazy. We weren't crazy. We were just We needed a little bit of maturity. We needed to grow a little bit. We were excited about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And we thought this is what you do every Sunday when you get together. And a lot of times it ends up being kind of a closed group of folks that all do the same thing all the time. I'm not making fun. I'm trying to help. Am I helping anybody a little bit? Come on. Here we go. He says in verse 20, Dear brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your understanding of these things. Be innocent as babies when it comes to evil, but be mature in understanding the matters of this kind. It is written in the scriptures, "I will speak to my own people through strange languages and through the lips of foreigners, but even then, they will not listen to me," says the Lord. How many of you know you can be going through the charismatic calisthenics, you can be going through the motions and just gibbering all the time, and not even not even hearing a word God's trying to say to you, because you just—it's all about the experience. Okay, and too many times folk just kind of get in and go well if I'm going to be part of this group then I got to do this too and they end up trying to copy it and it ends up getting in the flesh because everybody doesn't have the exact same gift somebody say amen, amen. All right. so you see that speaking in tongues is a sign verse 22 not for believers but for unbelievers now this is where I think this has its greatest application on the mission field prophecy however is for the benefit of believers not unbelievers even so, if unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your church meeting and hear everyone speaking in an unknown language, read it out, your, out loud yourself. What does it say? That's in your Bible. That's in your B-I-B-L-E. Yeah, you, yeah, you can just cut loose and just, just justify it by saying, Oh, the Holy Ghost made me do it. That's really no different than 30 years ago when Flip Wilson used to say, The devil made me do it. I'm going to speak to that in a minute. Verse 24, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people, and let me just say this, when you prophesy, you don't have to stop everybody and go, thus says the Lord. You know what? I can shake hands with somebody on the canned good aisle at Kroger and I can look them in an eye and speak an encouraging word to them without ever sounding churchy or religious. I can just say, you know what, I've been praying for you, and I believe God's got something for you. Just hang on. Don't lose your faith. Be encouraged. I believe that's the word of the Lord to you. That's how I do it. I say, I believe that's God's word to you. Because it doesn't come off so, I don't know, yeah, just churchy and religious and just weird. Can can you all hear me? Now, let me just say, victory is all about being real. Can I just be real? I'm thankful for my Pentecostal upbringing but I'm thankful that there are a lot of things that I don't do like we did back then because I think there's just a little bit of growth and maturity and just not unnecessarily putting people off because some folks are just so so fleshy and so look at me kind of attention seeking and, just, and I want to go, you just need to sit down and shut up in the name of Jesus. <laughs> Alright, that's Dennis the Menace, that's not the Holy Ghost. He says, but if all of you are prophesying and unbelievers or people who don't understand these things come into your meeting, they will be convicted of sin and judged by what you say. As they listen, their secret thoughts will be exposed and they will fall to their knees and worship God, declaring, God is truly here among you. That's my prayer for Victory Church. Say the last line in bold. God is truly here among you. More times than not, I have people say, I felt like you were preaching right to me, and I'm going no, brother. That's no, sister. That's just the Holy Spirit. I don't have a clue what's going on in your heart of your life, but the Spirit of God does, and He can take the word that I'm speaking to everybody and strengthen and encourage and comfort every one of you in a personal, individual kind of way. Isn't that amazing? How God can do that? That blows my mind. Hallelujah! All right, let me move. We're going quickly here. Well, my brothers and sisters, let's summarize. When you meet together, one will sing, another will teach, another will t- uh, will tell some special revelation God has given. One will speak in tongues, another will interpret what is said. But everything that is done, here it is again, must do what? Strengthen all of you. It's all about strengthening the whole church. No more than two or three should speak in tongues. He's trying to give them some traffic rules. You know, you know, guys. Just, this is an exuberant, charismatic church. It's a mega church. Thousands upon thousands. History says at this point it's probably about 25,000 people in the Corinth church. So they had a real move of God. Revival is broken out. And anytime time you have revival circumstances, there are always some extremities that you have to kind of rein back in a little bit. I'd rather have life. I'd rather have fire and have to pull it in a little bit than to have no fire at all and have to get up here every Sunday morning and take 30, 45 minutes to try to raise the dead every week. Come on, somebody. You Go ahead. Don't shout me down now. I'm telling the truth. I'd rather have a little bit of wildfire and have to drain it back in than to have no fire at all. Have a gorgeous fireplace, but ain't no fire can stay in it. They won't keep a fire. Well, that's better than y'all are acting. Anyway, let's see. <laughs> 28. Let me finish. Here we go. But if no one is present who can interpret, then you must be silent in your church meeting and speaking speaking tongues to God privately. There it is right there. You don't have to give that message. If, there's, if we're not going to get an interpretation and get some understanding, just save it. Keep it to yourself. That's what the Word says. Let two or three prophesy. Let the others evaluate what's said. That's where the discerning of spirits comes in. Is that from the capital S spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, or is that the little s spirit of a person who's just trying to get some attention? All right? If someone's prophesying another receives revelation from the Lord, the one who's speaking must stop. Verse 31, in this way all who prophesy will have a turn to speak one after the other so that everyone will learn and be encouraged. Verse 32, remember that people who prophesy are in control of their spirit and can take turns. I don't think you can get any more practical than this. And this is part of what I want to speak to those of you who have come from a classical Pentecostal background. We saw people do stuff because they would just say, "Oh, well, I couldn't help it. The Holy Spirit just got a hold of me. Well, you know what? You have control of your spirit because that's what the Word says right there. Remember the people who prophesy are in control of their spirits. In other words, you, you, don't, have to, you don't have to blurt out everything you hear. There's a time. There's a proper order. There's a way to do things so that it will be blessing to the whole church so that it's not charismatic chaos. Can I have an amen? amen. All right. I know this is good. Come on. Um, let's see. It says, verse 33, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. Lord, help me. I don't know why Paul chased this rabbit in this next verse. Lord, help me, Jesus. Women should be silent during the church meetings. It is not proper for them to speak. They should always, they should be submissive just as the law says. Now, let me just stop right here. I'm going to speak to this on a more developed direction in about two messages. But I want to tell you, this is not the norm of the local church in the New Testament. First of all, it doesn't make sense for Paul to say they can never speak when three chapters before, in First Corinthians 11, verse 5, he says, Women, when you prophesy or pray, you need to have your heads covered. How many of you know if you prophesy or pray, you can't do it without speaking? Oh, well, see, that's one of those contradictions in the Bible right there. No, 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 hang on. It's, it's, it's what we might call an apparent contradiction. But this is my understanding. Now... Let me just say this to you. This is where I currently am in my conviction about this. This is why we have Pastor Haley speaking in this church, covered by the spiritual authority of this house. We see a gift of God to communicate on her life. This is why we are not standing in contradiction to the word when a woman stands up on this platform and speaks. Okay, I believe that what was going on You've got men sitting on one side, women sitting on the other, and a couple of loudmouth—just a couple of ladies—that are not restrained are shouting out to their husbands, asking questions. And this is what Paul says. Next verse. Here we go. If they have any questions, they should ask their husbands at home, for it is improper for women to speak in church meetings. Now, what he's saying is speaking out of order. Okay. Because three chapters before, he gives them the authority to, to pray and to prophesy. And if you're going to pray and prophesy, just have your head covered, you've got to speak to be able to pray and prophesy. The prophet Joel said in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Now, I don't know why old men dream dreams. Maybe it's because we sleep more. I know I'm getting old and I... I, I need about a 45-minute nap in the afternoon and then I can go for another 8 or 10 hours solid. And I'm probably dreaming more because I'm getting older. I'm an old man dreaming dreams. Hallelujah. That's the fulfillment of the word of the Lord. He says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, on men and women, is what it says in Joel chapter 2 in the NLT. So, so God is not um, um, gender prejudiced. Matter of fact, in Christ there's neither male nor female. The issue is are you doing what you do in order and is it for the strengthening of the whole church? Come on somebody. Now I'll speak to this a little bit more later but for the folk who think that this right here is the normative Listen, the first 300 years, we've got women that are planting churches that the Apostle Paul recognizes in the close, the 16th chapter of the book of Romans. He lists the women first, and every time where there is a spiritual authority, the men are always listed first. But do you know when he talked about Aquila and Priscilla, he always listed Priscilla and Aquila. He listed her first. And she and he actively were involved in discipling a very powerful young preacher by the name of Apollos. So don't tell me a woman can't teach a man. Because Priscilla and Aquila, the Bible says, were discipling Apollos. So I can show... You look, folks, let me tell you something. The greatest move of the Holy Spirit right now is happening in China and there are millions of house churches that are led by women because the men are in prison because they've gotten saved and filled with the Holy Spirit and they have confessed Christ against the wishes of a communist government and they're in Chinese prisons. But the Spirit of God is being poured out all over China by women who are leading home churches. I've I've chased my rabbit here and I've gone too far. Let me just, I'll speak to this more, okay? Everybody say, put that on the shelf, all right? So let me say, if there's something you don't agree with, learn the watermelon seed principle. If I've said something you don't like today, eat what you can, spit out the rest, okay? You're not going to offend me. Everybody has the right to be wrong, it's okay. I'm just teasing. I have the right to be wrong. I'm I'm wrong and I want to learn. I want the word to say what it says. But there is confusion about that right there. And I want to speak to it again. We'll come back to it. Verse 36, let me bring this thing home. Come on, praise team. Come help me this morning. Do you think God's word originated with you, Corinthians? Are you the only ones to whom it was given? If you claim to be a prophet or think you're spiritual, you should recognize that what I'm saying is a command from the Lord himself. But if you do not recognize this, you yourself will not be recognized. In other words, he's saying, look, all you folk who want to be prophets out here, and we got a great big mega church, a charismatic church in Corinth, and the Spirit of God's moving, and you want to stand up in the back and trumpet and say, Thus saith the Lord, he says, I'm telling you, there's a right way to do this. And if you're not willing to submit to this, if you're not, if you don't recognize that what I'm saying is from God, Paul says, Then we won't recognize you. So all the thing, it's all about this. Let's do this for the exalting of Christ first, for the strengthening of the whole body second. And then we believe in the process of doing that when we keep the gospel at the center point, then God will save people, He will heal people, He will deliver people, He will set folk free from bondages because we keep Jesus in the center and not any kind of an experience. That's what it's all about right there verse 39 and 40 and I'm finished so my dear brothers and sisters this is what he says be eager to prophesy and don't forbid speaking in tongues I sat down with a, a local SBC pastor who's a dear friend of mine been in the community for years I love him he loves me we've prayed together we've studied the word together we've led men's challenge groups together and he said you know I, I don't know what to do with that because my denomination says doesn't want anything to do with this And when you read the last verse, be sure that everything is done properly and in order. That's code in his group for we don't do that here. And you know, literally, sometimes folk have reacted to extremes that they've seen. I've been a student of revival history my whole life because I love the presence of God. I love to see how God will move into a region. God will shake a nation. God will turn things upside down. First Great Awakening shook the colonies, second great awakening, you've got Finney, Charles Finney, a, a, a trained lawyer going into Rochester, New York with 110,000 people in the city, and by the time he leaves that city, 80,000 people have come to Christ. When 80 out of 110,000 confess Jesus, it'll, it'll rock a city. This is history. This, this is Finney getting up and preaching the gospel and folks being set on fire and had such a presence of God about him this is a true story he got on a train to go to his next meeting and the conductor the, whoever the, whatever the guy is that takes the tickets on the train at this particular period of history walked up to him and shook his hand and felt such a presence of God he got on his knees and he said what do I need to do to be saved there was such a presence of God around Charles Finney's life this great revivalist John Wesley the great Methodist preacher who rode on horseback, a quarter of a million miles preaching five times a day and writing 30, 30, 35 journals. Riding a horse, preparing sermons, preaching five times a day. People speaking in tongues, getting healed, swooning under the Spirit, falling out, being slain in the Spirit. All If you read Finney's journals, this is all a part of that whole First Great Awakening. It happened all over the place. This is the guy who founded the Methodist church, people. Now, I don't want to be offensive to anybody, but you can't go to a Methodist church and see anything like that happening. But it happened in the life of their founder, John Wesley. You read about the Cane Ridge revivals right up here in Kentucky. It was Methodist and Baptist folks, 30,000, 40,000 people gathering up in Cane Ridge, Kentucky, and and people are getting healed, and they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they're getting saved, and, and... Folk falling out and speaking in tongues and all kind of stuff. This is historical. It happened. It was the second great awakening that shook America. I believe God has that kind of revival headed for us. God knows we desperately need it as a nation. I mean where multitudes get saved and are born again and are swept into the kingdom of God and and people get miraculously healed and no man or no woman can take any credit for it and and folks' lives are changed and delivered from addictions and all kinds of stuff. Every Sunday I believe God brings personal revival into people that will hear the word of the Lord. But I believe there's something greater than that. When a people start to pray and get in order and trust God, God will let that church become a kind of the, a sort of the firebrand. It'll get on fire and it'll begin to touch the community and God will bring revival to a whole community. And He'll bless every other church in the city. This is not about just growing victory big. You know what, I want to see such revival poured out that every church around here, where it's dead, all of a sudden they come alive again. Pray with me today. I just I just wanna I wanna stir you up. I want to exhort you.